Welcome to this episode with our guest, Casey Ingram. Casey, a former Marine that stands at a tiring six foot three, father of three amazing little boys, and a husband to just as awesome, just as awesome of a woman. Custom home builder, budding entrepreneur, and a very personal friend of mine. But like every great story, it wasn't always like this. He's gracious enough to open up with some difficult conversation regarding his bouts with PTSD, alcoholism, addiction to prescribed medication, and destructive behavior. More importantly, he lays out the things that helped him redirect his energy for the best version of himself, which we have in front of us today. I think every listener will agree that this conversation is raw and it's visceral. And we appreciate you taking your time to give this one a listen. So let's get on. Let's talk with Casey. Not your average operator. Not your average operator. Not your average operator. Welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Operator with me, Paul Mellon McFadden. We've got uh, the lads uh, together. It's a bit weird. They're sitting in the same screen on my Zoom box because Mike has done the trip all the way up there and we got Mike and uh, Rafa sharing a microphone. How are you going there, boys? What's up, dude? <laughs> Don't jump in all at we're once. Good. Yeah, 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 no, we're good, man. We're good. Yeah, Mike is uh, visiting out here in uh, Spokane and he can confirm there are some... Yes, listen, okay. If you go back to episode one and you hear Raph introduce the lush trees, I can confirm Spokane, Washington has lush trees. And uh, I can't make fun of them anymore, dude. It's absolutely beautiful place. And everything he has said is true for, for the first time in his entire life. Everything he said is true. And I have to admit, it's a pretty solid spot. And so what's been going on with you guys? Been hiking the woods? You've been shooting? What have you been doing? Been eating some salsa? Some well, salsa is mandatory in the, in the uh, Raf household, yes. But uh, no, we did some hiking around the property. You showed me everywhere. Kind of talked about where he wants to put a shooting range. We hiked up on the mountains, man, and just take some pictures and look and some future uh, plans for the springtime for some camping and some other things. And then just... Uh, Man, I got to spend time with the bean the last couple of days, and it's just been hilarious. The dude is just so – he got these little buck teeth, and he just, he just runs around and just – man, he's so full of everything. We've been introducing him to power bombs and choke slams, so we're doing some WWE wrestling with him and just pretending we're pinning him and adding in sound effects, and it's hilarious. He loves it. Yeah, he does. It's been a good time. I'm ready for, I'm ready for him to leave, but, I mean, it's been good so far. <laughs> uh awesome awesome we've uh we've been having some cold weather here some storms and uh and and uh and whatnot and just been hanging out with the kids and and Chezo. we've been having a good time uh over here as well anyhow as you guys heard in the show notes we're uh, lucky enough to be joined by casey ingram and uh welcome casey how you going man yeah good melon thanks for having me guys this is uh this is awesome stuff and the podcast is a good thing. So I'm glad to be a part of it for this episode. All right. So uh, maybe we could kick off Raph. Why don't you tell us who Casey is for you and how you guys met? Um, yeah, absolutely. So interesting, interestingly enough, um, when we, we bought property out here and we decided to, you know, build our house, we went with a company uh, that doesn't exist anymore. Um, but Casey was, uh, one of the, well, he was basically the project manager that, that built the house. And, uh, so we kind of just became fast friends with our history. I knew that he was a uh, prior service. Um, and we just kind of just talked about everything under the sun, man, from service to family to, you know, um, religion and just kind of saw that we had a lot in common. And so we just kind of stayed friends and yeah, started going out for dinner, you know, family outings. I mean, he was his family, uh, his little three terrorists, um, came out to Soren's second birthday at this trampoline uh, park, and it was just so you know we just like I said we over what three years now we just kind of became fast friends and always stayed in touch. And then obviously when we started the podcast, he started giving it a go, started listening, and I I knew his I knew his history, and I knew uh, he had some, and I'll, of course I'll let him dive into it, but I knew that he had similar struggles that you know any veteran would have in the transition 
from you know military to uh, civilian. So um, I respected it. I kind of kept that to myself. But uh, over some beers last night uh, with Mike, we kind of convinced him that it would be good for him to share his story. Just because, uh, one, it's powerful, and two, it's very relatable, right? It really is. It doesn't matter if you're a trigger puller or if you're working at a desk, but if, if you've been overseas and you've lost friends or you, you've been part of a, you know, part of a military organization, man, it's, um, it can happen to you too. So yeah, like I said, we're lucky, man. I'm really, I really am. I'm stoked that Casey was willing to share it because I think it's, uh, I heard it and I know that it's, um, it's worth telling. Right, Casey. Well, why don't well, can you kick off now and tell us a little bit about your backstory? Like, where where did you grow up, and which branch of the military did you serve with? Yeah, well, I, I got to kick it off with uh, after the the guys kind of presented to me last night. Like, first thought, hell no, I'm out. I am not doing <laughs> this. Right, like this is my story. I'm going to stay quiet. Like, no way. And even on the way home, one of my buddies is a, a, a first sergeant, and I called him, and I'm like, Yo, dude this uh, podcast, like, what would you talk about? He's like, dude, it's not about what I'm going to talk about. Like, this is all you and like sharing the story. So anyways, um, yeah. So grew up here in Spokane um, and just kind of right born, raised right here. Um, right after high school, ran off and lived in, um, in Hawaii for a year, framing houses. And came back and just always growing up, like my, my push and my desire was to be in the military, right? I was going to be in the Navy and then that was stupid. And then I was going to be in the Air Force. That was easy and went off and joined the Marine Corps, right? Like didn't even tell mom, dad, nothing that I was going off to join the Marine Corps in 2008, right? Height of both wars. And <clears throat> five days later, I'm in freaking San Diego, crushing boot camp and getting crushed every day for the next 13 weeks. So, uh, just kind of get out. Um, you know, I was motor T, um, which was, it was all right. You know, just kind of, I got lucky and we got attached with engineers. Um, so we did one, one combat deployment with them, uh, over to Afghanistan back in 2009, no 2010. Wow. Um, and, you know, we just got thrown right into the thick of it um, with, like, shoot, we're in country, right? Like two weeks and we're already throwing missions and um, being engineers, right? We're going out, um, building bases, demolishing bases, roadside clearance. I mean, right, everything that engineers do, um, which I loved, right? We had every heavy equipment with us, so I was operating machinery, like just we're crushing it and we're having fun um, and really, really doing the work that we thought was, was the right thing to be doing to, to win the war. Right. So um, I ended up getting injured um, five months into the deployment and total non-combat injury, right? Like we were working on a freaking front loader and totally not my MOS, but, like a hard charger that I was, <clears throat> um, I was doing everything I can to be mission ready. And, uh, we were out on a, on a recon base and, uh, we had a flat tire on the front loader. So like a dumbass, put the bucket into the ground and then you fill the tire up and that thing starts rolling downhill. So I run around, jump up in and on those uh, front loaders, they got uh, suicide doors on them, of course, up armored. And that 500 pound door just smashes me right in the forearm and compound fracture, boom, done. Um, and then, you know, setting up LZs and stuff. I'll get into this a little bit later, but one of our guys, uh, the machine gunner, he got sniped. Um, so yeah, setting up LZ, boom, get on the freaking chopper. I think Raf was flying it because some of the worst flying I have ever been involved with, but yeah. So, um, get back, uh, to the Leatherneck and then surgery there, surgery up North a little bit and then Germany. Um, so that was deployment history. Um, and then get out, uh, get back home. Um, Oh, 
get into that later too. But so that was about two years in. And then I had another two years of just active duty, um, finished that up and fiance at the time, now wife, um, you know, we just had some hard talks. Like I loved it. Um, I wanted to do my 20 and I wanted to be a career man for the Marine Corps all the way. Right. But you know, the deployments on her were really tough. Like we would easily go 25, 30, even 40 days on one of the missions without talking. And so, you know, that stretch and I, there was a podcast that you guys did or the episode that you guys did a couple weeks back about how you touched on that. And it just, that, that distance, man, it, it messes with you and it messes with the family. So we kind of just made the agreement of I'm, I'm coming home. Um, so then we started that transition um, back at the end of 2011 uh, and I got home uh, basically Christmas of 2011 and, you know, turned, turned to that chapter of how to transition into the civilian world. And um, that's kind of when the issue started, right? Like you've been programmed and developed for, go ahead, Rath. So I was just going to jump in there, Casey. So just you, you've been in, the, you've joined the Marines in uh, 08. You've deployed to Afghan, and I just want to have a just to touch on that piece around the injury, the medevac back to Germany. So in following that injury, did you recover fully? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the plates and pins all through the forearm and uh, that lower, you know, basically elbow down, but fully right. enough, I guess. So you sort of got the immediate treatment in country, then back to Germany for the surgery and so on. And then was it a full uh, repatriation back to the States? Yeah. So uh, let me expand on that. Right. So surgery in Afghanistan, uh, two of those, just because of the compound fracture, um, those are basically just treatments to make sure all the sand dust and everything else is out, stabilize it, get me off to Germany uh, and that's where they placed all the, the pins and everything like that. Um, and then once you get back stateside, it was um, uh, just kind of the rehab, right? And I was in from fingertips basically up to my shoulder uh, in a cast for nine months uh, and just totally locked down and, yeah, one-armed man. Did you say nine months? Correct. Whoa. Casey, so... I want to I want to get some perspective from Casey, the active duty Marine, right? So once you took the injury and you had all that happen, you get back and you're in rehab and getting surgeries and cleaned up and everything else. What was your mentality in that moment that you're still in the Marine Corps doing what you're doing? What was your mentality at this point when you, you took this injury? What was, what was your attitude? Initially, it was... <clears throat> <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, I'm lost, right? Like I went from being able to do everything and being able to be out with the guys on the deployment. I get back stateside, I'm by myself, right? So just crushed me uh, mentally that I left the guys over there uh, and I'm back stateside with a freaking broken arm. Like essentially what it is is I broke my freaking arm and I'm stuck here with none of my dudes. Right. So you're just, you locked down and it, it crushed me mentally. Was there anything that you had, maybe a, any other friends, family resources that maybe you had available that maybe you didn't acknowledge because maybe pride got in the way or like, ah, I don't want to deal with that or some type of, uh, you, you kind of hit a wall there of, of figuring out like what you needed to do for the next step. Oh yeah. Big time. Right. Like, <clears throat> of course the family, I mean, I got a super supportive family and like I said, fiance at the time, now wife, um, they were just, they were all about it. Um, me getting home pretty much intact. Uh, but right. My first instinct was to shut down. I mean, they, they don't know what we just went through and I don't want to open up to them and scare them off on, you know, all the firefights and stuff that we saw and IEDs and all that kind of stuff. So that just kind of, went in the backpack and, and it stayed in the backpack. You know, I had some really good guys that were uh, left on the, uh, in the rear when we deployed and we, you know, we kind of bullshitted a little bit, but again, it's just that, that close knit group that you have when you're deployed and 
nobody stateside could understand it. So I just, I locked it up and messed with me bad. Kind of compartmentalize a lot of emotions there, huh? Oh yeah. Big time. I can, obviously I've talked about that before, man, but you know, as I said before, whenever we think we're alone, you can hear this is just an, another great example that we're, we stand in ranks with everybody that goes through this stuff. So yeah, I, I understand, man. For sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's something to add there. It, and I think there's an interesting point of view is that when Mike was, when Mike left our fob and uh, we were still there for another like five months, whatever it was, my, my task, our task force was still there and Mike had already left. I could tell that he was pretty, he was beating himself up that he had left because he had left, right? He was forced to leave and go back to other assignments. And I personally didn't understand it at first. I really thought it was strange. I was like, dude, all, it's, it's one of those things where when you're there, you can't wait to go home. And then when you're home, you, can't, you wish you were back there. It's this weird phenomenon, right? And I remember when he got home, he, he kept saying, he's like, man, I wish I, I feel like a dirtbag because he's like, I feel like a turd because I left all the guys. I'm like, dude, you didn't leave. You're like, you, were, you were assigned to go do other stuff. And besides, we'll be home before you know it. Um, but I always thought it was strange. It's like, man, I would do anything to go home right now. Right. I mean, it was, even though it was a great deployment and we did a lot of amazing stuff, you know, the, like I said, the enemy always has a vote and we were obviously, we had lost people. And I just thought to myself, I'd like to make that here intact if I could. Um, but having said that after having left, I remember thinking I would give anything to go back. So it just, it was an, a unique perspective because obviously Mike, was showing those signs and symptoms of like, man, I miss, I miss the, the brotherhood. I miss what we were going through. And me being in the fray of things was like, you're insane, dude. I would trade places with you. And then looking back, I'm sure I would have felt just like he would have, you know, knowing that the boys were still downrange. Was that similar for you there, Casey, while you were sort of going through that rehab process, which sounds really long, right? Like nine months for surgery and long time in a cast. Is yeah, that a I mean, similar experience you were having? Yeah, hundred percent. What what Raf and and Mike were kind of alluding to. It's just, I don't even know how to explain it. Right? Like it's just there. There's a a feeling and a, a missing link in the in the puzzle of Casey that was left over there and never came back. Right? Like I don't know. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so going from that point. Yeah, sorry. So going from that point, man. So you get home, you're in rehab. You're they're like, hey, it's nine months, and you're and you're going through this point. Were were you kind of under the influence that like, hey, this this might be over for me, and, and start thinking about I might have to think about transition. Um, honestly, no. Like that that really never crossed my mind. Just because in the back of my mind, I was like, dude, it's freaking broken arm, right? Like. Dudes are getting legs, arms, everything. They're pushing on. They're re-enlisting. I could easily re-enlist with a freaking broken arm. Nobody would ask a question, right? So I, I wouldn't say that uh, pushed it down at all. Um, he, he, here's, a, here's, a tough, here's a tough question. You don't have to answer it. You really don't. I, I know that you said that uh, you ultimately made the decision to um, – to, you know, to Trent, to just leave the military and, and kind of uh, put the family first. Was there some resentment? Like, I'm sure that you, in your heart, you're like, it's the right thing to do. So I'm going to move on. I'm going to do it. But you can be honest if you want. Was there some resentment towards your wife that you kind of had to make that choice in the first place? Oh, hell yeah, bro. Like, I mean, now it's been nine years since I've been out. Right. And we're at the point where we can joke about it. And I say, I got out because of my wife, right? Like she takes it personally, but she's the reason I got out and made the right choice. Thankfully that everything worked out that way. But yeah, hundred percent, like huge resent, resentment. Like I would, I would do it all over again today, right? Like I might go to the freaking fat kid camp, but I'll do it all over again <laughs> right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, so kind of similar to, my, I mean, not with the deployment, obviously I did 20 years, but uh, when I tried for the SMU thing and uh, I gave it a go, 
they did offer me another opportunity and but i had made aubrey a promise that i was only going to make uh two attempts and then i was gonna you know just focus on on the family but knowing that there was that that you know because it's not normal that they would outside of two attempts they usually it, it has to go behind a veil and they decide and they decide whether they want to even give you another invite and the fact that they were actively trying to push for another invite was it was massive it really was um but I, I had made her a promise and I, so I stuck to it, but I'll, I can't lie, dude, there was some resentment and I was manifesting in other ways, right? It wasn't directly towards her, but it was like, I, looking back at it, I was, yeah, sometimes I wish I was a single man just so I can achieve that one thing. But, uh, but like you said, man, you know, you press forward and eventually you look back and you realize, dude, I'm a thousand times better off in the position that I'm in now than I would have been with all those accolades and the medals and all the BS that comes with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, some real honesty in sharing that stuff you know like I got uh, I don't think I've ever told you guys I got offered a second round at uh, Hornets in Australia when I was uh, an instructor we had a, a visiting uh, senior officer and he knew who I was and he knew this story that I'd gone a very long way down the fast jet training route and had uh, been suspended with two rides remaining and he met me and he, and, uh, he sat in my office and, and just said I'm here to offer you another run at this and he, you, you could go again it was very unusual. And I, we had Annie at this stage, you know, a little vision impaired prem baby. And uh, I was, it was so massively tempting to get offered again, this thing that was your heart's desire for such a long time. But I was able to look him in the eye and just say, this is not the priority for me now. And I know, I know what it would take in terms of commitment and focus. And uh, you know, that little baby girl needed everything I had at that time. But it's funny that those things sometimes come up. You know, I think we're only human. And when you have such a strong focus and all of us have that, we wouldn't do what we did, what we have done. We wouldn't be uh, the kind of people, you know, we use that term alpha, you know, none of us really like it, but we've focused our lives to do something for such a long time. And it is hard to let that, that uh, peak, that dream, that goal go. Especially right, like there that last couple of months, and and Gunny comes up and he's like, "Yo, Ingram, you're getting out." I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm done. He's like, I'll, "I'll send you to jump school. I'll give you whatever base you want." And I'm like, "Yo, bro, I drive trucks. I don't need to go to jump school. Like, can't really jump out of a plane in the truck, man. Like, can't do that." Mike, is that true? I mean, it's not advised, but I've done it out of a truck and. and- <laughs> I probably should be med retired because I did not land that POF good at <laughs> all. So don't don't do it. All right. So Casey, there you are. It's um, you know, you've re- recovering from the injury, and then did you rejoin the same unit, or were you you assigned to a different uh, unit following the rehab? Yeah. No. Just uh, stayed right with the the crew. Um, so that was uh, November when I got injured. Right. Uh, everybody got back from deployment back in February. Um, yeah. So it, once everybody got home, it was kind of right. The, the hugs and the freaking handshakes and the beer drinking has commenced and uh, all things are good. All the guys made it back. Um, it was just the me and the one dude that got sniped that were our only uh, freaking wounded during the whole deployment, which 2010 in Afghanistan, dude, that was a freaking win, right? Like, Sangin Valley, that shit was popping um, all through freaking the Helmand province and all of Afghanistan was going. So um, once everybody got back, it was let's let's freaking party hard and uh, see how much booze we can drink. Right. And then that turned into a whole freaking issue in itself uh, for later once I got out and and even in uh, the last year. Right. Like had to go to freaking AA and all that kind of stuff. Cause there were some incidences that we got freaking bar fights and actually broke my freaking hand, uh, while I was still in the cast, uh, of the injury from the deployment. Yeah. So Gunny found out about that one and boom, old boys in freaking AA for two weeks. Thankfully didn't get busted or NJP or anything like that. But, uh, yeah. So, um, once that was all over, right, it just kind of took me right to the end of the enlistment. And um, 
and came home to Spokane to, to turn this chapter of life. And nine years later, dude, we're still crushing. So, so there you are. You, you've uh, you you talked about being uh, like framing houses in Hawaii as a young guy, and you've been a construction engineer in combat, and you know you've trained up there. And so, was that something you always thought about doing, Casey, getting back into the construction uh, gig? No. So initially, coming home, right, like a, adrenaline junkie, and I mean it's addictive, right? Like you hit that chemical release and it's all about it. So coming home, I was trying to get on with the police department. Um, that never actually worked out obviously. Um, so just kind of, I did, I played my role in a corporate gig for a while, uh, slinging energy drinks and corporate world and me didn't really meet up. Um, so I actually, uh, ended up getting fired from, uh, forced to resign. Um, from that company and that was the best thing that ever happened to me because it, it got me back into the construction and just like the most rewarding position and job that I could have is by freaking Rathnos. I took a piece of dirt that he owned and now him and his family live in it. Like freaking rewarding is all get out for me. Um so it you know everything works out for the purpose um of getting there. So So, yeah. And so when was, so what year was it that you got into the construction? Yeah. So that was, um, back in, let's see, 2013, uh, is yeah. when I got on with, uh, that company or another company wasn't even the one that built Raft's house, but, uh, just kind of rolled into that and then, um, built a handful of houses with them, um, jumped up into this custom world and, you know, thankfully towards the end of it, met Raf and, and Ob and um, freaking just awesome, awesome time building the custom houses and, and seeing that whole market and learning that industry, uh, which catapulted me to where I'm at today. But um, I don't know, I feel like we're kind of getting sidetracked a little bit um, and, and getting too far down the road um, of of years without really getting into the topic of the issues. Right. So I want to backtrack a little bit. Um, so back in, uh, 2012, we went to, uh, 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 Seahawks game. Uh, and by this, you know, I was just a couple of months out of the, the military and, uh, we go to the freaking Seahawks game and walk in and there's 60,000 people. And I'm like, Oh shit, dude, like that's a lot of people. And then we go to this Budweiser booth where, where I'm going to propose to my wife, my fiance. And little did I know that, that they freaking launch after the Seahawks score a touchdown, they launch freaking cannons. Right. So like instant flashback, we're going freaking PTSD. And I swear this whole freaking booth was looking at me like I'm about to freaking clear everybody out of here. Right. So those deployment issues like just carried over for way too long and, and still do. Right. It's something that I'll probably never get rid of. Um, but ever since then, that, that was like the first episode that the, that the family saw like the effects that this war and deployment took on me. Right. Cause it was, everything was in the backpack. It was bottled up. Nobody knew about it. And then they see that episode go down and it was, yeah, it was changing and eye opening for everybody and everybody just kind of tiptoed around me for a little bit and, and wanted to, you know, do interventions and freaking send me to these places. And I'm like, no, dude, I'm fine. Right. Like we're going to keep pushing on. That was just one little episode and let's freaking roll. And, you know, and then, and then we tie back like the, the alcohol abuse and even developed a small little drug abuse problem from, being in rehab essentially for nine months and the military is great for dude, here's some pills. Like you're in pain, here's some pills. And, you know, thankfully I was able to kick that like real quick. Uh, but they were just pumping oxys and hydros and, you know, whatever I asked for, you could have it and got addicted to it for a little bit. Um, yeah. So came home, just, just a freaking mess of a human. Right. And, 
thankfully got, I got a super strong wife that, that was able to help me through a lot of it. But I mean, there are many a times that, uh, you know, that anger, um, depression, just, it takes your body over and, and you're lost and you don't have your dudes to talk about. Casey, when I heard you talking about, okay, so you, you have a problem, right? Which was your arm. So still in the Marine Corps, in uniform, active duty, you break your arm. I asked you about your attitude and you're like, I felt lost. Okay. Now transition. You're no longer in the Marine Corps and you're out in the civilian world and you're living a regular life and among regular people. And now you're having alcoholism issues. You're having drug issues. You're having PTSD issues. What's your attitude now versus what you were in the Marine Corps? Was it any different? Was there any changes? Was there some type of transition from wearing the uniform to going to civilian life and being like, I'm not in this environment anymore. You don't have those guys overseas or your unit with you around you. Like what was your attitude at that point? You know, I think it was even that, that feeling of lost and, and no sense of direction really even got worse at that first couple of years of getting out, right? Like you get programmed over those four years in that, Boom. You're told when to wake up, when to work out, when you're going to chow, right? Like it just, they pound it into your head. And then a couple, couple weeks of, you know, separation classes and setting up the VA stuff and you're on your own, right? Get on the bird back to Spokane and get off. And it's like, what now? Right? Like I had no direction thought I had some great plans for getting work lined up and all that kind of stuff. But that just, it wasn't, wasn't meeting the drive, right? Like you, you wake up with no sense of, of drive, no uh, urgency to do anything. And I mean, that just, it, it spiraled me downhill even faster than what I thought it did. But looking back, I was, dude, I was a mess. So um, could you remember, was there a specific moment or moments where you kind of turned the corner from, I would say the from like the darkest moments where you're really, you know, in the trenches of the PTSD and, and the alcoholism, what was it for you where you kind of just thought, I, I, I can't, you mean like I can't keep going down this road to like pave a different road. I need to turn the corner. I need to, was it like looking down at your, I mean, what was it for you? For sure. I mean, like cliche and, you know, we kind of touched on it last night a little bit, but when my, my son was born, like my first boy, I got three boys that are freaking crazy animals. But that night that my son was born, um, I was, I was drunk as a skunk and I read, I couldn't even drive my wife to the hospital cause I was so drunk and remodeled our basement with my freaking fist. Cause we got in an argument the night she was going into labor. Right. So snaps out and I got this freaking tiny creature in my arms that doesn't know anything except for I'm dad, mom's mom. And now I got to be an example. Right. And so, I mean, it was instant within a month seeing counselors outside of the VA. Right. Cause we all know that issue. Um, so seeking help um, from outside and just realizing how big of an issue I actually have. Um, and it turned around quick, right? Like, I mean, wife and I went a couple months without talking because of the, the argument and how stupid I was the night my son was born. Um, but we worked through it. I, I was proven to her, right? Like self-correct and let me get the help that I need. And it, and it worked out and I pushed through it because I grew up without my actual bio dad and I wasn't going to do that to my kid. Right. So I got to do everything I can to, to set an example for him on the way a man should act. Right. So he easily, I mean, without a doubt is the reason I am still here and pushing and trying to help everybody out that is in our shoes right Paul it's uh you know 
those of us who've had kids, we know that 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 paradigm shift, like the lens you see the world through changes when that baby comes, right? Like you are changed in a, in a second, in an instant. Mm -hmm. The mum and the dad are both changed and now parents, a whole thing settles on your shoulders. And I really appreciate you sharing this honestly with us. It's such a big deal, you know. In that moment when you're like, I need to get help here, what was, and, and I really acknowledge you for, for doing that. And I, I, I can see that that's the key to Casey, who we see now on this call with us compared to Casey at that time. What was the, when you were like, I need help, what was the, the bit of help that helped the most? What was the avenue that gave you the best access to making progress out of that dark space? Learning how, learning how to, uh, to communicate and, and truly opening up about what's in this freaking nasty mind of mine and, and how to push through it. Right. Like, I mean, the first I blew through counselors, like freaking high school girlfriends, right? Like finally, you know, cause I would only go see a, a male cause men to men, we can open up, we can talk a little bit. Well, that wasn't working. And, and then I finally found this female counselor here in town and dude, like we unpacked like childhood stuff. And I'm like what is going on? Like I'm coming to you for like, you know, alcohol and stuff, but we're going back to, you know, five years old when I don't have my dad. So, uh, that, that piece of communication. And I mean, still as a leader that I try to be now that effective communicate, communication uh, just catapults you and your crews and, and your family relationship, um, your, your spouse, everybody. If you have that clear, honest communication, it does magic. When you were going through the different I, I just you had comms there with the counselor, it, did, it didn't work. This, this might be where a lot of people get stuck. You know, they go to one counselor and they don't get that connection they're looking for. So honestly, I've got to acknowledge you for continuing to look. What was the connection when you had it? Like just so people out there who might be going through a similar thing and they're like, this is not the guy or this is not the lady. What was, what was different with the one that you had the connection with? I could tell instantly that she made me put my ego aside, right? She, she understood what I had been through, where I had been, what I had seen, and basically said, if you want this to work, that shit stays in the freaking car when you land in the parking lot. When you walk into my office and sit on my couch, we're talking as two human beings that are equal, and you're here for help, let me help. But don't try to do my job without knowing how to do it. Wow. That's, that's pretty powerful. That's... So uh, quick question, because it sounds like you had this moment also, and I think we, we've all shared it on different episodes, but um, when, when you finally, I guess you can say, looked at yourself in the ugly mirror, what was that? Like, I know it's a transcending moment, right? Where you go from like that, because I think the biggest struggles I've ever had, it's always, uh, I'm always too afraid to look at honesty, like look at myself with, with on, like I call it the honest mirror, right? Because you just like, like I guess I, I talked about this on, my on the podcast, how with Aubrey, whenever her and I were fighting and we were at the peak of almost getting divorced I, and I got back to it, it was always uh, things that I, that I wasn't dealing with. And when I finally acknowledged them, I, man, it was always like a weight that came off my shoulders, right? It was, it's intimidating because you don't want to admit to yourself that you're, an idiot, but when you finally accept it, it, man, it always, it just, it's so much better. But uh, just for you, like what, when you went through that, that moment of transition, um, what was that like? I mean, cause it sounds like you were in some dark spaces, but eventually when you turned the corner, you must have kind of eventually just accepted ownership of your own faults, right? Instead of just, but instead of blaming, what, I, what I'm saying, instead of blaming the world, cause that's what, that's where most trouble comes is that we don't own our, our stupidity, we blame it on everything. You know, it's the car that cut me off. It's the blah, blah, yep. blah, that, that pissed me off, but we don't own it. But we just keep creating this, this tremendous world of pain that really afflicts us. But until we own it and, and wrestle it down, it's, you know. Well, I mean, really it, it, it's easy too, right? Like no matter what branch that you served in, 
99% of those dudes are going to be freaking alphas, right? And, and we can't do wrong. We, we know everything. You can't fix me because I know how to do it best. Chug a freaking bottle of Jameson, right? Like we know how to do it. But when it comes down to it, you just got to be honest with yourself. Is this the life that I want to live? Fuck no, right? Like I want the best that I can have for me, for my family, and, and humbly uh, just coming to peace with, I need help. Like it is the biggest ego blow for any man to admit that he needs help. But when you do it, your life is turned upside down for the better, right? And, and you don't have to worry about people looking at you different because most of them don't know anyways, right? You're in this, uh, you know, call it intimate communication with a counselor, male or female, that is there to do their job to make you better, to make you effectively communicate, to make you able to get through your PTSD, to be able to uh, yeah, it goes way on, right? Like, there's that piece that uh, Mike shared a little while ago about let it go, you know. And when we all feel like we've got to do it all ourselves, and yet we would never do that in our like combat teams or in our operational units. We know that we've got to fit in together, and yet when we're having a hard time, we're like, "No, I've got to solve this myself." And that strength of being able to say, I can let this go and find someone who's got expertise in this and that I don't have to figure it out myself and I don't have to be perfect and, and do the whole job that I can uh, generate a team around me. There's a lot of power in what you're saying. Um, okay, so really just, a, it's a big deal to, to share this. So after you, you've, your son is born, you've uh, taken the, it's a, it's a huge step and you found the person that you connect with and you, you sense that connection immediately. What's, what's the path like from there to this really successful uh, businessman that Raph has told uh, Mike and I so much about? Honestly, just grinding, right? Like I'm still not perfect. I never will be. Um, I still have the issues, but it's, it's still every day I wake up, I know the, the triggers that I have. I've communicated those with the people that are closest to me. So if there is something that sets me off, people are able to help me and help me quickly. Uh, the wife and I have a great understanding on kind of boundaries of what can be done and um, how, to, how to ask for help. Um, but, I mean, it just it comes down to leadership. For me, right? Like we have some of the greatest leaders through the military, every branch, great freaking dudes that are leading you. And I have always had a, a desire to be a leader and to be a business owner and to be an entrepreneur uh, and to make my own name. And, you know, a couple months ago, I was driving around this total side topic, but driving around with the wife looking for freaking land to buy because who doesn't want to buy land in the Northwest? Like, uh, and she's like, why, why do you do it? Why do you work so much? Why do you push yourself? Why do you do that? And the first thing that came to my mind was I want to be the best leader and I want to build the best houses in this area. Like, dude, it's just a house, right? People sell them every freaking five years. But to me, that's my pride. That's my joy. And it makes it easy when you find something that you love to do, you get up and you do it. And it, it just makes it easy to roll out of bed every morning um, to do it. So um, I, I was reading something about leadership. I forget which book it was, but it said, you are, the, you are an average of the five people you hang out with the most, right? 100%. And coming out of the military, you got your boys that, you know, you used to run the friggin' blocks with and do the thing. Dude, I left that behind me after I got home. And I, and I saw that and I read that and I'm like, shit. Put dudes like, I don't want to put Raph on a friggin' pedestal because we all know the turd that he is. <laughs> but, well, also, also, in my defense, and I before I forget, I know you're lying because you 
you're you're marine you don't read so fact, you said i read somewhere i was like all right he's lying someone cut the tape he's yeah. lying yeah. And to be 100 percent honest right now we are sitting on a stool <laughs> literally right here we're sitting on it so go ahead casey yeah so i mean i i just i we got connected with the church um and that that opened my eyes to being able to to believe that there is a, a higher power that's going to help me through whatever thing, whatever I bring to him, right? So that that really pushed both my wife and I. We went light years ahead of where we should have been, right? And then through that, I met some great guys, some great leaders, great communicators. And, you know, I just and I kind of forced myself into that group. And I learned from them and I watched how he communicated and I watched how he, he presented himself. And then I met uh, another business owner who happened to be in construction and just kind of got to know him. And, and then I forced myself into his group almost. Right. And I, and I watched all of them and how they carry themselves. And then I said, well, crap, I need to take this from that dude, that from that dude. And I'm just passing it or packing it into my backpack and into my freaking brain housing group on taking the best from everybody that I meet and then go to the next position, go to the next company. I mean, un some people say I'm crazy for jumping around as much as I jump around, but I know where I'm going. And if you want to freaking come along, come along. Cause it's going to be great when we get there. And I'm not there yet. So I still every day and now where I'm at and building these houses for celebrities and very, very high end uh, business guys, those are especially the business guys and some of the athletes that I've built for now, now I'm taking what they do and, and seeing how they carry themselves. I mean, there's guys worth billions of dollars that I have daily communication to. So I'm opening my eyes to how is he successful? How has he built 12 different companies? And how can I do that? Because guess what? In America, we all have that freaking opportunity to do that. And for my family, I will do that, right? So it's just that now that my freaking head is clear and I can see the, the finish line, of where I want to be, I am pushing harder now than I ever have. And it's only going to get harder. So Casey, listening to this, man, dude, I, 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 everything you just said, like I'm, we're over here smiling, like this, this is getting me jacked up, dude. Like, this is awesome. What I, what I noticed throughout your whole story and listening and just meeting you for the first time last night, hearing your story about getting out of the Marine Corps, immediately you were thinking about you just yourself i need this rush and the police was the first thing because what it's probably the closest thing i can get to to get back to where i wanted to be and get that 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 adrenaline that feeling that you were talking about that didn't work out so then you went to energy drinks right and going out and partying and getting the rage on and letting that out that way right where did that get you both of those ultimately ended in a bad spot listening to it of going from kind of, you know, and I've been there too, kind of selfish reasons. Like I, I want to get mine, you know, that I got mine mentality and do what I want to do. Your, your whole character, your whole, everything you've been talking about just completely changed when you're like, I want to build a house for other people. And you started thinking about <laughs> outside of yourself and, and what it did to you, because as soon as you took a step out of, outside of that box, and you're wanting to do stuff for other people, those people started giving right back to you. And they turned out to be really good people. And I've, I've said this before, but I thoroughly believe, and that's why I'm part of this podcast, is good people and good people can do great things. And when you're yep. open to that, that's, that's the key to get where you want to go. It's such a motivating story to hear, man. It's such a motivating story to hear. And, uh, you know, I know we're uh, we're taking up people's valuable time out there in podcast land, so we're going to wind this thing up. But I would really love to extend an invitation to you to come back on, Casey, because I feel like there's a lot of wisdom that you have to help uh, our listeners and the people out there. Because hearing hearing you you having those three sort of things are the PTSD, the pain pills, the alcohol, 
and then uh, the birth of your son and seeking help from outside and not, not giving up when the connection didn't manifest and finding the one where you got the connection and checking your own ego and then moving on and, and getting into that striving and grinding mentality and finding your own mission, which is to build the best houses. I mean, it's just that the three we know, cause we're all here on video, Ralph, Mike and I just sitting with these massive smiles on our faces, listening to the tail end of your story. It's just uplifting and, uh, you know, finding five people that you want to emulate and being like, I'm going to spend time with these people. That's, that is something concrete that people can do. And you can, you're like selecting 20% of your own future personality, you know, with these key people you can put in your lives. Anyhow. So, uh, I'll wind this thing up, but I'd just love to extend an invitation to you, Casey, to come back on uh, for a future episode. And maybe you can, uh, if you're happy to share where people can find you on the socials. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy. I do the Facebook, uh, for, I don't even know if it has an at in front of it, like Casey Ingram. That's, that's me, right? Find me and love to help anybody out. You guys, I, I appreciate everything that you guys have done uh, launching this freaking platform because we all know that the, in the veteran community, we need something, right? We need to be able to bring it back together, bring that brotherhood, that camaraderie back together. And I, I really do think you guys are onto something. So I would love to... Uh, you know, down the road, do another episode with you guys. Like, um, love listening to you guys every week and yeah, let's do it again. Awesome. So not your average Raf, not your average Mike 77, not your average Paul. We'll get you guys links to Casey Ingram. And, uh, if you're from a Spanish speaking background, you might say that in Graham. So the, uh, the family name there, <laughs> the name Graham in it. All right. A yeah. little, a little poke. Yeah. Good. Little poke at our uh, <laughs> Mexican extraction friend there. So from all of us to all of you, I hope you guys got something out of that. As uh, if you got ten percent of uh, the boost I just got from listening to Casey, then you've done well. So thanks very much, guys, and until next week, stay focused and stay safe. Bye.